Hello and welcome to our next episode of Unqualified Analysis. We are your hosts, Zach and Caleb, and today we have a great episode for you. We probably had the greatest weekend of all time in football. Um, you know, we had wildcard weekend where honestly everything kind of sucked, and now we get this where it was just banger after banger after banger. Not a single game was left to be desired here. And of course, we've still got more. We've got three more games for the postseason. And of course, you know, the Pro Bowl, which of course we will cover at least a little bit. And then finally, well, we're going to get to some monkey business. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Now, what I want to kind of get out of the way here is when you look at the wildcard weekend where everything was basically a blowout except for uh, two games, and then you go to this game, heading into this season... The record for the lowest margin in four games of divisional play has been 18 points. So the four teams that have won have won by a total of 18 points. This weekend, they won by 15 points. Just a true antithesis of wildcard weekend, man. Yeah, I mean, we really do just have to take a stop before we get into the games and just appreciate this weekend for what it was because, I don't know, I mean, even as an uninvested party... I can't remember a, a single time in my my history of watching football, at least, that we have seen a collection of games this good. I mean, just going from, I mean, Robbie Gold knocking off his old nemesis in, in Lambeau Field in the snow in the worst possible kicking conditions to Allen and Mahomes competing to see who can give each other the most time to just go down the field and uh, score a TD. I mean... This is just like start to finish. I mean, you forget that at the beginning of the weekend, Joe Burrow started off by knocking off King Henry in his palatial estate in Nashville. Uh, both one seats out. I mean, what a weekend it was, dude. I mean, just what an all-time weekend. Yeah, and that's not even to mention the fact that there's a game in the middle of there where Tom Brady almost pulled off the impossible of making a basically 27-point comeback and... Couldn't quite get it done, but we saw astronomic performances from players in the Rams versus Bucks as well. But let's go ahead and get into the best game of the slate. Everyone knew it was going to be the best slate, and somehow it still impressed everyone. Bills versus Chiefs. At one point, this game was like 26 to 23, entering the last like five minutes, and the game ends 42 to 36. What a game, Caleb. And I have to say, it sucks for the Bills that they lost, but Gabriel Davis, man, over 200 receiving yards, four touchdowns? This man's going to get a contract, and he's going to be a bona fide receiver. Gabriel Davis, it's not an exaggeration to say that he made himself upwards of $10 million in this game. Like, no. he, this game, it, <laughs> talk about having the best game of your life at the best possible time when all eyes are on you the best the most hyped game of the weekend he comes out has 200 yards four TDs and really I'm not sure anyone's even going to remember it in the grand scheme of things because Mahomes went down the field in 13 seconds to insane, win this man. one I mean insane you, you think about it I think it was going into the last four minutes of the game I believe the score was 26 to 21. And then the final score ended up being 42 to 36. I mean, the final two minutes and change, absolute insanity. I mean, as a football fan, this was probably the greatest game I've ever seen. Outside of a Super Bowl, I think that 28-3 Super Bowl from with the uh the the Falcons and Patriots is maybe a little bit better. 
Honestly, I missed a lot of that because I was at work. Fuck that job in particular. But this game was the, the one that I watched all the way through that I think I enjoyed the most all time. Uh, there is, of course, a special place in my heart for the Saints-Colts game. Um, not even necessarily because of the result, but I mean, everyone's always talking about that onside kick still, right? Like, that's one of those legendary calls. And as far as college is concerned, I mean, I unfortunately uh, got to watch Texas A&M versus LSU live when they went to, I believe it was seven overtimes. It ended like 77 to 74. We were up until three in the morning watching that game. Um, my poor roommate had just gotten off of like a 12 hour shift and we were screaming at the top <laughs> of our lungs and he was just trying to get a few hours of sleep because he had a split double. But yeah, I mean, this game was insane. Like both quarterbacks uh, rushed the ball as the leading rusher for their teams. Uh, they both accounted for over 400 yards. And like you said, they just competed to see who could give the other quarterback the least time possible with two minutes to go. The Bills score a nice touchdown. Um, a minute 52, you think, okay, yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes has plenty of time to go down the field, score. They could kick the field goal even. Um, Tyreek Hill did what he does best, though. Patrick Mahomes hits him in the middle with a great in route, and he just shrugs off a defender who was holding him the entire time, just runs around everyone, shows why he's faster than the entire league, and throws up the deuces as he enters the end zone. Not even, like, as he enters the end zone. My man was throwing up the deuces, no lie, at, like, conservatively the 15-yard line. In real time, it looked like he threw up the deuces at the 20. I mean, the amount of yeah, right. arrogance you've got to have in your speed to throw up the deuces. Just say, yeah, I've scored a touchdown already with 20 yards to go. <laughs> Insane, dude. That guy's speed is just otherworldly, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And think about this, dude. It, within the last two minutes of the game alone and overtime, Mahomes had over 170 passing yards. That's insane. Just in that span alone. I mean, and that's only in one drive in overtime, too. I mean, the level that Mahomes got to, and he talked about it on that final drive, just the all-time quote that Andy Reid had with that 13 seconds left. He looked Mahomes in the eyes and said, when it gets grim, be the Grim Reaper. And he was the fucking Grim Reaper on that field, man. I'll tell you what, this cements Mahomes as, Mahomes as the top QB Everyone else is way below him, in my opinion. Shit, I don't know, man. That last drive that the Bills had with a minute left, I mean, Josh Allen looks kind of flustered heading into that. He threw a couple of uh, errant throws. Thankfully, uh, none of them were too, too bad. But then he just hit that moonshot to Gabriel Davis, dude. And that was beautiful, man. I mean, Gabriel Davis actually ended up catching three catches on that drive alone to put them up. But at the end of the day, the star players for the Chiefs showed out. We were wondering, where was Tyreek Hill? Where was Travis Kelsey? Tyreek Hill ends up going over 150 yards uh, based off of those last two or three drives. And Travis Kelsey just, he catches two crazy catches to help with 13 seconds left get a fuel goal off. And then catches the game-winning touchdown for the Chiefs to put them in the championship. Just Insane. I mean, the Chiefs have to be the best team in the NFL. And honestly, like, this is one of the more fun dynasties to watch start, starting to brew here. Yeah, and my comments earlier, they weren't even really like a disrespect to Josh Allen either. He's probably, like, at this point, he is really maxed out, like, at the top level of what experts like Adam Schefter, the Todd McShays, the, the Mel Kuypers of the world 
all thought like the top end of his potential could be like as far as the accuracy, the gun of an arm he has, the legs that he has. I mean, he's. I think he might end up being the second best QB in the league. But man, Mahomes is just so good. And you said it. I mean, if if Tyron Matthew is good to go from here on out, if he doesn't have uh, the lingering concussion issues, there's no reason that the Chiefs can't go back and win this this Super Bowl. I mean, they are exactly what they have been in this time of year, the past several years. It's it's impressive to watch. Another pretty cool stat is that the Chiefs have now hosted the AFC Championship game four straight years, and they are the only team in the Super Bowl era to do that. Not even the Buffalo Bills, who went to four straight Super Bowls, were able to do that. Um, So that's just absolutely legendary for them. But let's go ahead and talk about this overtime, because I feel like we're definitely on the same page here where... Like, I mean, ultimately, yes, as a Bills player, you do have to stop them with 13 seconds left. You can't let them get that 40 yards, right? You can't let them go down the field in overtime, but it it really does suck that they weren't able to get the ball. I mean, Stefan Diggs put it best, I believe, where he said, if we had won the coin toss, we'd be the ones celebrating, not them. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's shown over the years, and this is like kind of stats that you brought to my attention a little bit before we recorded here, but... I mean, it's just shown during the regular season, these overtime rules have worked really well. But in the postseason, I mean, the teams are just too good to make it work. And I mean, it shows in the numbers. During the regular season, the team that wins the coin toss has gone in, I think it was 136, 137 games, something like that. They are 86, 67, and 10. In the postseason, again, small sample size with only 11 games. But the team that wins the uh, coin, coin toss in the postseason is 10 and 1. Now, that's a small sample size, but 10 and 1, which, by the way, sorry, Zach, on that one. We all, we all know which one that was, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, I, won't, I won't dwell on that one too much. But 10 and 1 is a startling pattern there, which it goes to show that, okay, during the regular season, maybe not all the teams are on the same page. Maybe they're not all intense. But when it's win or go home, when the reps count the most, I mean, when the teams are the best, when the talent is the best. I mean, if you give a team that first possession and say if you score a touchdown, you win the game, it feels like they're more likely to score a touchdown in that situation. So I say, I mean, keep the keep the rules the same way in the regular season. They've seemed to work out well, seem to keep games from going too long. But in the postseason, I mean, stretch out the quarter a little bit longer. Um trying to trying to think what the what the second part of that was. Also, yeah, don't make it like sudden death. Make it so no matter what the score is, there's a rebuttal for the other team. I mean, yeah. there should never be a walk-off where Josh Allen, after having the game that he had, no turnovers, four touchdowns, spectacular the entire day on anything that he pretty much did, didn't have an opportunity to score. I mean, it shouldn't ever happen in a game like this. Yeah, I mean, uh, thoughts that came to my mind while you are saying that is, so we obviously had the Chiefs versus Bills where – I mean, ultimately, it's probably the two best teams in the NFL this year. Um, And obviously, it's win or go home. So you're going to be at your absolute best, especially after getting that heart-pumping series of events where both quarterbacks were just going back and forth, just doing it as quickly as possible. And then during the regular season, we had the Steelers versus the Lions who ended up tying. And that was a game where it felt like neither team wanted to win. So the stakes are completely different. I think that... Definitely, you should give the uh, team that loses the coin toss at least a bit of a rebuttal. I was thinking maybe, um, obviously, the, the team who wins the coin toss will go first. You know, they can score 
um, either touchdown or field goal. And if the second team gets the rebuttal, then um, then you just go to sudden death from there. Maybe like maybe make it the third series is the sudden death because yeah, you don't I necessarily agree. want it to go the full fifteen minutes if it doesn't have to, but at least give each team a chance to have a pick of their own destiny, right? Like if Josh Allen that's threw an interception on his drive after the Chiefs had scored, then you know that's fair play. Like he made that's a mistake, but also you'll give them a second chance to stop the Chiefs. And then score their own as well. Or maybe exactly. you can even do some monkey business like one team goes for a field goal, the other team says, fuck it, let's go for two. Exactly. What we as fans want in the most key critical moments is just fairness across the across the board here. And having a team be able to go down and essentially end the game without the other team's offense even seeing the field is simply put just not fair. So I mean it's a it's a simple thing to do. Really, it wouldn't take a whole lot of changing of the rules you literally just play the game except for instead of what it was before just make sure you know if, if one team scores a touchdown and the other team scores a touchdown all right yeah it's sudden death from there but just not having one team play at all it's bad for everyone and honestly I think the league knows that I mean we've seen in the past that there's been precedent before we talked about that one game where a, a team lost in overtime where the the PI was missed so terribly that there was an outright outrage from the fans I mean, they instituted that rule, which I think we can both agree it was set up to fail in the first place, but they at least caved and put the rule in in the first place. So there's at least precedent there to at least change the rules going forward here for the benefit of everybody. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about what's next for these two teams. So for the Bills, obviously, they are out of the playoffs now, unfortunately for them, but I feel like they're mostly going to run it back. I mean... With Gabriel Davis surging the way he has, he's going to get a lot more looks as a second wide receiver opposite Stefan Diggs. Kind of depends on what happens with uh, Emmanuel Sanders especially, I feel. Um, Cole Beasley's still going to be a nice slot option for them. But they're going to get a lot of looks for uh, Brian Dable, and I can't remember their DC's name, but I know he's been in Leslie the hunt Frazier. as well. Oh, Leslie Frazier? I mean, he's got some experience, and they do have a decent defense. Not a great one this year, but very opportunistic, which is nice. Um, but yeah, for the most part, as a Buffalo fan, you do have to be happy with this. It sucks not to make the Super Bowl, but I mean, come on, Josh Allen, like you really can't complain about anything if you have Josh Allen. Yeah. And on the subject of Leslie Frazier specifically, I know he really, really did not work out in a spectacular fashion with the Vikings. I think we had a three and 13 year. That was the Christian Ponder era yeah. wasn't it yeah it yeah. was top to bottom the organization was was a whole ass mess when he was there but on on a bright side though I do feel like he he hasn't had any head coaching experience since then I think having that initial experience of seeing everything you shouldn't do as a head coach is valuable going into the second time so I think he would be a a good fit as a head coach for somebody I'm not sure I haven't heard his name uh, ringing loud in a lot of these head coaching circles, though, unfortunately. But, hey, that's that's good for the Bills, at least. They got the number one defense, get their defensive coordinator back. But, yeah, I mean, the Bills, they lost this game. But, truthfully, going into next year, I mean, they're bringing pretty much everyone back, and they're bringing the most important guy back in Josh Allen. So, I see no reason that they couldn't. I mean, the Patriots, they're probably going to improve in several ways in the offseason. But there's no reason they can't challenge for the division and challenge for the Super Bowl next year as well. 
really. They've just got to get some consistency running the ball. Um, I know Josh Allen's a freak of an athlete, but... Yeah, that's only a tool you can use towards the end of the year. And you saw it with Dable. I think most of the year he was hesitant to use Josh Allen in the run because he saw how Cam Newton's career is basically over after 10 seasons because Carolina just ran him into the ground. So, I mean, that's really... For most of the season, for I would say the first 14 games of the year, you got to figure out a run game outside of Josh Allen to, to make it work. After that last four games, I mean, let the motherfucker loose. That's why you got him, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's like the it's like with Taysom Hill, why I'm never a fan of Taysom Hill starting as quarterback for the Saints because he did end up getting injured, and then, you know, we had a whole bunch of issues where either Trevor Simeon or Ian Book was starting and neither was very good. Um, so either way, they would want to find something outside Josh Allen for running. As for the Chiefs, though, like I said before, it's their fourth straight time as the host of the AFC Championship game. They are the Super Bowl favorites at this point with probably the three best players in the uh, that are remaining in the NFL right now. So uh, things are looking really good down in Kansas City. Yeah, Pat Mahomes is like our age, so they're going to be here for the next like fucking decade, essentially. It's, it's un- yeah. unreal. What they have down there in Kansas City, we talked about it earlier in this uh, in this discussion, but I see no reason why they shouldn't go ahead and at least go to the Super Bowl. They should probably win the Super Bowl this year. They are the Chiefs are just as overwhelming as they they've ever been. As long as Tyron Matthews there, that defense is good enough for them to win by double digits against pretty much everybody. So their adversaries, the Cincinnati Bengals, played in the first game of the slate against the Titans. And this was a really good game in a pretty completely different way. Um, It was mostly nickel and diming, field goals for the most part, but the tension was always there. We always knew, yeah, the Bills or the Bengals were up, I think, nine to zero at one point, but nine points is not a whole lot. At any given point, either team could just break out and win this. And I mean, when you have Derrick Henry back, that's all you can really hope for for the Titans. Unfortunately for them, the Derrick Henry experiment didn't really work out, but what can you do, right? Like, it's a win-or-go-home scenario. Yeah, and I feel like Derrick Henry looked like, well, he'd, he'd missed three months of the season, which, I mean, you know, it's, it's, that's to be expected, I guess. I, w- I was hoping he would have a big game because, you know, I'm a, you know, bit of a bit of a sentimental bastard in that way. I always love to see the stories like that, but... Yeah, it just wasn't wasn't in the cards there. I think they probably should have leaned a little bit heavily, more heavily onto Deontay Foreman. He was looking great all game when they weren't leaning on Henry. But I mean, yeah, this is just close all game. Both defenses really did play well, all things considered. Um, the Titans defense, I mean, they gave up a bunch of yards, but they really didn't give up any touchdowns. No, no passing touchdowns, that's for sure. They gave up a lot of yards to uh, Burrow through the air. But you talked about him earlier. Jeffrey Simmons anchors the middle. Basically, he's in that class with, like, also fellow Mississippi State alum, uh, Chris Jones, uh, Aaron Donald, maybe not quite to that level. But as far as guys that can wreck the middle for you and completely destroy whatever you're trying to do in the run game, I mean, he is an absolutely invaluable guy. And also another uh, Mississippi State guy, Danico Autry on this defensive line. Big game for him getting a sack and a half. I think he had nine sacks on the season, too. So, I mean, I guess they really just love defensive guys from Mississippi State on that team. Uh, What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, this is what we expected for the Titans versus Bengals, right? Like, the Bengals' offensive line was 
the biggest concern the entire season and it hadn't really cropped up yet you know you might think that we were crazy for harping on it too too much but as you start to get into playing some of these better teams that's when like the basics start to actually matter and like you said they didn't give up but one touchdown but they gave up a ton of yards and that's because they give up 70 yards in sacks when you get sacked nine times it's really hard to have consistent rhythm and yeah i mean jeffrey simmons had three sacks of his own in this game and he Monster. he really helped define that for them on the other side for the Bengals, though they got three interceptions off of ryan Tannehill. now i will say the um Final interception by Eli Apple, that was more a defensive play than an offensive play, but the very first offensive play for Ryan Tannehill was a throw that went straight to Jesse Bates. So you really can't do that. And um, Ryan Tannehill is good if the Titans want to be good, but uh, he's not good enough if you want to be great. Yeah, yeah. I think we talked a little bit after the game, and I defended Tannehill on that final throw. I think it was it was an accurate throw, but... Upon hearing some some exterior analysis and, and considering it further, throwing it into triple coverage, even if it is an accurate throw to the third or fourth receiver in Westbrook Kine, probably not the best decision nope. in the world. So, <laughs> Tannehill, he's one of those guys a lot like Kirk Cousins to where I think he's a little bit less frustrating than Kirk Cousins, but when you need him the most, it feels like he's going to shrink a lot more times and he's going to rise to the occasion. I think when he did have that play when they were down early and he had that absolute dime to A.J. Brown where he just basically put it right in the exact right spots where he just, yeah. you know, held out his arm and caught it essentially. But other than that, I mean, you got you get down the stretch there and you make that throw to Westbrook Aquino to essentially end the game. That's just not something you want from your franchise quarterback. But I think you can get him on a bargain as far as the QB market is concerned. So I would say just ride with him. Yeah, I mean... I think you probably could. I feel like maybe maybe not this year uh, since there's no like bona fide franchise quarterback in this draft, but maybe next year if it happens to be a horrible year and you get a chance to land Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or you just decide to make a blockbuster deal, then I feel like you have to jump the gun. Or shit, maybe like Russell Wilson decides to take his train out to Tennessee. Who knows? Um, but back to the Bengals though. Uh, one of the big ways that they won this game was through field goals. And Evan McPherson has been the guy who's been kicking for them, right? Like, he is 8 for 8 in the postseason so far. And this man is a rookie. This is his first year in the league. And he is already having a great year. And he could be one of the next great kickers to go alongside Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, who are the two that we've been talking about all season long. And you think about it, he's had this type of rookie season in a, in a stadium in Cincinnati that's really not kicker-friendly at all. And he's been absolutely lights out, with the exception of that first game against the Packers, basically the entire year. I mean, I remember, I think he ended up beating the Vikings at some point this season. Left a real bad taste in my mouth where I'll just, like, leave that there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, McPherson, really through this season and the postseason, I mean, I think he's earned his spot in Cincinnati Really, he should probably just go ahead, buy a house, because he's going to be there probably for the next decade. He's earned that much credit just based off of, I mean, 8 for 8 in the postseason with the type of high leverage kicks that he was kicking. I mean, that's not that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that is something that's absolutely incredible. I think the uh, old stripey boy has stumbled onto something pretty special here. Yeah, and I mean, 
that uh, last kick that he had was a walk-off 54-yarder. So this man's really putting in. I think his longest he kicked at Denver was like 58, 59. So he's definitely got a good leg. Um, and it was I'm cold sure as fuck in Nashville, too. I'll tell you what, man. Oh, Just yeah. Because it's in Tennessee doesn't mean it wasn't cold. I mean, if it was anything like it is over here on East Tennessee, in the, the over in the, the tip over here, I mean, it was cold as fuck on Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, bad weather conditions. Playoff football hit a 54-yard walk-off. I mean, this kid is an absolute stud. And I mean, the last guy we got to talk about is Joe Burrow, right? This dude. Of course. He had nine sacks on him, but yet he still completed 75% of his passes and had just about 350 passing yards. This dude is the epitome of cool, the epitome of clutch, and he is just completely unflappable. He's going to be a great quarterback if he doesn't just have his knees explode again. Yeah, right now I think he's a, he's definitely a solid top five quarterback. I've got it right now. It's like Mahomes and then Allen threw a wrench on whoever the hell's number two. I mean, I think it's probably Allen then Rodgers at this point. And then I'd probably put Burrow there at four and then Brady at five. So, I mean, yeah, he's absolutely a top five quarterback in my mind at this point. And, I mean, he's going against a defense that at least next week, I mean, just projecting forward here a little bit. Pretty pretty favorable if Tyron Matthews not there. I mean, this is this postseason. I know this season in general, he you know ended up tied for the lead in uh, completion percentage, uh, led the league in or had, was second in um, yards per attempt. But this postseason, I think, is really his his coming out party and having having performances like this on the biggest stage. I mean, the guy's already confident, but I could only see his confidence going through the roof from here, and that's only going to be special on the field. Hey man, he's going to have a great chance in Arrowhead. It's going to be a really tough game for them, but no doubt that there is something to be had against that secondary in Kansas City. If Tyron Matthews not there, then uh, there's not a whole lot to scare you as far as the secondary. Then you just got to stay away from Melvin Ingram and Chris Jones at that point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, for Joe Burrow, this is one of those games too where I mean, I'm not sure you're going to be able to rely a whole lot on on your running game because I mean, I feel like Chris Jones playing that middle. I mean, he's been he's been lights out since he's he's moved back there, and it's going to be all on Joe Burrow's shoulders. We'll have to see. It's going to be going to be a difficult game. We'll talk about that a little bit later, though. Yeah, and for the Titans, uh, their season is of course over. Kind of a bummer when you're the one seed and you go out on the very first game, but. Sometimes that's the way that it works out. Like I said, I think whether they stick with Tannehill or not, they really need to take a look at that quarterback situation. I don't know if it's whether they go with a new quarterback or they figure out some new coaching, but down the stretch during the regular season, he was having a lot of turnover issues, and that's really leaked into this first game of the playoffs for them. And Really, like if you don't have consistency in this position, then teams are just going to be able to stack the box against Derrick Henry, and eventually he's going to wear out. Running backs are not as uh, unflappable as quarterbacks as far as keeping their careers going. I would say. Yeah, and I mean that that's fair overall, but I think a lot of that a lot of that bad play can be chalked up. I don't think entirely because you know I think Tannehill is what he is at this point. I don't think he's a guy that's going to be ever be that top end quarterback that you're looking for. But on his best days, he can be a back end of the top ten guy. I think the real problem here on the offense was AJ Brown is the only receiver worth a shit. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm including Julio Jones. I'm including Julio Jones in that. He is absolutely done. He had one touchdown. He had 60 yards. He had one touchdown this year and was injured the entire year, which is the way he's been for the past several years. I thought he was good coming in. They gave up too much for him, and I'm not even sure they really gave up a whole lot for him in the grand scheme of things on the trade. So I think the real thing is going into this draft, they've got to they got to pick up some receivers. I think they can't just like give Tannehill what he's been working with. Because I think we, we talked about it ad nauseum at this point. The QB class isn't anything special this year, and they're not going to get Kenny Pickett. They're picking way too late for him. So you might as well just draft a skill position guy, get some weapons for Tannehill next year, because the team overall, they got a great defense. The offense just needs to get some weapons around Tannehill, and they'll be right back there. Well, luckily for them, uh, there's going to be a lot of wide receivers for them to pick. Oh, yeah. And, uh Hopefully Aaron Rodgers can find a new wide receiver in the draft too as uh, they lost in Lambeau to the 49ers. And I didn't realize this, but Lambeau is actually the opposite of a home field advantage as the Packers have lost seven postseason games in this stadium in the past 20 years, which is the worst by a home team in the past 20 years. At this point, I feel like Aaron Rodgers' legacy outside of the one Super Bowl they had over the Steelers has been very poor in the postseason it this is one of those teams I felt was one of the most complete teams that they could have had and they found a way to flounder it even outside of the special teams all he did was throw to Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and there were countless times where I saw Randall Cobb was open Alan Lazard was open Mercedes Lewis was open and he just tunnel visioned into his number one receiver and his running back yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to put it entirely on Rodgers' shoulders. I mean, th- there's a lot of blame to go around. I think there's a little, there's a lot of blame on the floor that I'll talk about in a bit. But I mean, you said it. I mean, there was only seven targets for the anyone not named Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones yesterday. I mean, that's something that you just can't have. I mean, Josh Allen, on the other hand, was throwing four touchdowns to Gabriel Davis. Had you heard of Gabriel Davis before this weekend? I had only in passing, that's for sure. I did. We did talk about him a little bit on the podcast, but it's been very recent. He's been surging up a little bit in the past few weeks, but it's only been like three or four weeks. Exactly. But either way, Stefan Diggs on the other side, the usual favorite guy, only had seven yards, whereas Devontae Adams, he was getting spoon fed, force fed basically the entire game to no avail. So, I mean, this is one of the only times in Rodgers' history plan where I can say unequivocally that I think he did choke in this game. Like, to a certain extent. I Like I said, I think LaFleur has a lot of blame to, to go here as well. I mean, the fact that A.J. Dillon, I know he did get that rib injury, but only seven carries for A.J. Dillon is unacceptable. You shoot that rib up, and you get him back in the fucking game. I mean, it's. I know I know that's not exactly how that works in Green Just Bay. Just put some duct tape on the rib, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a, it's a fucking playoff game. A rib is not keeping you out of a playoff game. Honestly, I haven't been there before. Obviously, I'm not a you know. Look at me. I'm I'm not a, an NFL player. But like, you can't have AJ Dillon getting seven carries when there is snow falling from the sky in Lambeau and it's like less than fucking ten degrees outside. Like it's that's un- unexplainable for me as far as uh, Lafleur's part in that. But I think yeah, Aaron Rodgers definitely choking this one. Especially when he also had basically the only touchdown of the game. I mean, obviously, the special teams really fucked up in this one. They had a really good chance to kick a field goal at the end of the half, which would have completely changed things. And also, 
the punt was just blocked, which almost never happens, especially not in the postseason. So to see it happen and then get turned into a touchdown because it was at like the three yard line is a little confounding. But I mean, AJ Dillon was doing some work early in the game. Aaron Jones was doing really well early in the game. And then for 30 minutes, there wasn't a single point scored. And these teams just decided that they didn't want to do anything anymore. It it was really just a slap fight as it turned into a whole bunch of like three yard, four yard runs. And ultimately it just gets turned over on downs because you get a sack. And uh, on the 49ers side, it was a lot of like 10 yard or 10 play drives that turned into like turnovers on downs for going on fourth down or Jimmy G's one interception that wasn't as big as uh, we made it out to be in real time. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. That's, that's a pretty, pretty fair synopsis there, but it's, it's funny though, looking at the, at the Packers for a second, it feels like every time that Aaron Rodgers like should win a Super Bowl, the team that he's on has like a glaring weakness. Like you think about that, that last time that they got to the NFC championship against the, uh, the 49ers, the run defense was absolutely shredded. This time it was the special teams that Aaron Rodgers just like, sell his soul to the devil in exchange for having great QB play. But the reverse side of that was the devil makes it so he'll never win another Super Bowl outside of that first one. That'd be pretty, pretty sneaky on his side. I'll tell you what. It's honestly like Peyton Manning, right? Like Peyton Manning had the one Super Bowl pretty early in his career. He has been back. Um, He did go back one other time before he changed teams. Um, and lost that one. But Aaron Rodgers, unfortunately, didn't even go a second time. He won the one. And then I guess just was like, all right, I'm done. Even though he is, by all intents and purposes, the most talented quarterback. He has the most natural play, at least before Mahomes and Josh Allen took the field. And I'll tell you right now, I think all time, I think Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Peyton Manning. I think, you know, mentally, I think Peyton Manning's got him, but physically... Aaron Rodgers is just that much better, and I think mentally right. there's not that much of a drop-off. So, I mean, you, th- you look at their, their careers, they're fairly comparable. It's in the clutch situations. Most of the time, it's not Rodgers' fault. This time, a lot of it was Rodgers' fault. Most of it wasn't. A lot of those losses that the Colts had, I mean, it's hard not to place it squarely on the shoulders of Peyton because they had home field advantage way more times than the Packers did. I mean, yeah. you can make an argument that Peyton is probably the greatest regular season quarterback of all time, but at the the curse of having a brain like that in the postseason, I feel like, is you can't turn it off. And when you get in those moments, I mean, shit gets fucking wild. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers has that. Well, was it nice schadenfreude for you to see Robbie Gould nail the uh, game-winning kick? As a longtime bear who was pestering both you and the Packers and now uh, just strikes a dagger in one of your division rivals. I mean, I don't know if schadenfreude is the right word. I think it's like respect, right? Because I feel like, man, Robbie Gold, I mean, he was on the Bears for the longest time. I remember several different occasions where he fucking put me in a bad goddamn mood on a Sunday with a game-winning kick against the Bears. I'll tell you that much. But for him to get... The stanky boot from those dumbasses, Nagy and Pace, then for him to find another home in San Francisco where he's been really the the number one kicker for, I don't know, however many years that since they cut him. Fucking dumbasses. But anyways, coming back in, into this stadium where he had all these years going to his nemesis, knocking off Rodgers in like one of the more embarrassing losses in his career. I mean, this is this has got to be an all-time moment for him, man. I mean, this might be one of those like, 
uh, I don't know if you've ever actually been to the Hall of Fame in Canton, but there's always like these, uh, I don't know, like pictures and stories of like different different snapshots of the game. I feel like that moment is going to be like a story in the Hall of Fame at some point here in the near future. The uh, last thing I do want to talk about too before we get into the the forecast for the future is uh, Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa. We talked about it with the Chiefs as they were pretty quiet and then just their best players turned it on. These two players have been anchors on a very strong defensive line and they showed it with uh, four sacks between the two of them on Aaron Rodgers. And this is a man that generally is pretty elusive, able to extend plays by getting out of the pocket and uh, being like sneakily athletic. Um, but they were able to get some really nice impact on him. And I think that was another big reason why the Packers were never really able to get a whole lot of rhythm going on offense. Yeah, Nick Bosa gets a lot of the acclaim here. But, I mean, Eric Armstead, I think he got a lot of shit when he came out because, I mean, I think they just got Solomon Thomas in there too. They're like, why are you drafting Eric Armstead as well? But, like, this guy has turned into a really, really solid defensive tackle. I mean, he's right up there, very underrated guy in the middle like that. And you saw it. He absolutely wrecked the game getting two sacks in this one, uh, taking advantage of the, the cold weather him and Nick Bosa on that defensive line with Fred Warner ranging around behind him. I mean, that alone, I'm not sure it even really matters what's in the secondary when you got a, when you got that up front. I mean, that is quite a trio to, to have going for you. I'm waiting for Arden Key to break out. He's been having a, a sneaky, solid team. <laughs> He's had a sneaky, solid season. Yeah, it was like weird because he had one season at LSU where, or maybe it was two seasons where he started. He got like 16 sacks because he was just faster than everyone and then just like came out of the draft went to the 49ers where he's just kind of been buried on that roster because they had those two guys and then they had um was it Alden Smith I think was in front of him too probably and yeah yeah I don't think Alden Smith's with them anymore is he uh no no he had uh, a couple felonies pop up for the Packers there is going to be a lot of speculation on Aaron Rodgers is he going to retire is he going to Strong arm into going into a new team. I have no idea. Um, we thought that he was going to be gone in the offseason last year, and that didn't turn out. So I'm done speculating on that. I'm just going to believe it when I see it. But as far as the actual team, yeah, they just need to clear house in the special teams department. I mean, when both your kicker and your punter get blocked in the same game in the playoffs, that uh, that's not very good for you. So you should probably get that fixed. Yeah, I think as far as the special team staff, like the coaching staff, they're they're probably already packed their bags. They're they're gone, super super gone. Unfortunately, they'll they'll probably find jobs elsewhere. But yeah, this was just this is a job you can't really recover from because the, the Packers were really really bad this year. Um, outside of that, though, I mean the long snapper, that guy. If you watched him all throughout the year, I mean. I think the the Packers had the same long snapper for, I think, like 15 years or something like that, and they just switched to this guy, and he's definitely not it. I think, you know, as a long snapper, pretty pretty low value as far as the uh, monetary part of it. They'll probably get him out the door and get a new guy in there too because, I mean, as far as punters go, Bohorquez is a pretty good good kicker as far as it goes. And, I mean, you know, a lot of the, the laces stuff and holding has to do more with the snapper than anything. So I think he's out the door. Um, on the offensive side of it, though, I think, you know, LaFleur, in this game, I think it showed that you got to take a bit more of a hands-off approach to the offense. I think 
calling the game and being the head coach, I think you're a little bit too myopic on the offensive side and the details to not, you don't see the big picture as much when you're making these decisions. And sometimes you don't put in AJ Dillon when you should, or, you know, you, you let Rogers target all the receivers like seven times outside of uh, the, the top two receivers there. So, I mean, probably take LaFleur out of the play calling role, uh, keep making, have a step back more into the uh, schematic size side of it. I would say for the 49ers, they're continuing that six seed run to the Super Bowl. They're going to be facing their divisional rivals, the Rams, who they beat twice in the regular season. And that's going to be an interesting one. Um, let's go ahead and get into that one as well. We had the Rams versus Buccaneers, the last of the games that we had to cover for this weekend. This was a game where I felt like the Rams really wanted to lose it as uh, they went up 27-3 to at half and were just like, wait, I didn't think we'd get this far. And just kind of slow bled out. Just unfortunately for the Bucks, they just ran out of time. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where you think about it as like four and a half minutes to go. I think the Bucks just had a, uh, had a it wasn't a three and out. They had a, a turnover on downs like the, the Rams 31 or something like that. And I, at that point, I'm thinking like game's over. It's 27-13. I mean, there, there's no way that, I mean... At the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, it's Tom Brady, so there's a chance. But 27-13 in four and a half minutes is fucking no crazy. Way. But they force a three and out real quick, you know, use the three timeouts. And then very next possession, Brady gets a quick touchdown, like 55 yards. Evans burns Ramsey for a big touchdown. Okay, cool. 27-20. Rams, all you got to do, you get a first down and you win the game. And what happens? Cam Akers comes out and fumbles the ball in the second play of the drive. And then, you know, Brady brings it down as much as possible, 27-27. But goddamn, Cooper fucking Cup, man. That guy on the final drive, 20 yards down the sideline, 44 yards straight up the middle. Matt Gay for the uh, the kick against his former team to get them out of the fucking playoffs. I mean, this was... I mean, this is this was a lost game in the shuffle with the with the nightcap between the Chiefs and the Bills, but this was every bit as good as all the other games. It's just just goes to show this got lost in the shuffle. Just how crazy this weekend was. Um, I want to cloud on Jalen Ramsey a little bit because uh, That's fair. he uh, Mike Evans burned whoever it was like um, like Darius Williams or I don't I don't remember it was something Williams. Um, and had a pretty big uh, completion. And so Jalen Ramsey specifically said, okay, get off of him. I'm going on to Mike Williams. <laughs> and then instantly that very next play just gets burned by Mike Williams for that. So, yeah, that's not a good look for them. But, yeah, He's I not mean. not a guy you can cover one-on-one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably just right. double that guy and take the loss. <laughs> right. Like, I I was sitting here thinking, like, I understand Scotty Miller was, like, nickel and diamond the shit out of you guys. But, when it's four minutes, you can afford to let the clock burn a little bit. You can't afford to just give up a 55-yard touchdown to a wide receiver who has had eight straight seasons of a thousand yards receiving. Like you got to double bracket this guy. Like come on. But um, yeah. As far as Tom Brady coming back from 27 to three, there's only one team that can live that legacy, and that's the Falcons. Everyone else, no, nah, they're just posers to that. I mean, Brady, sorry, man, but uh. It was not meant to be. Cooper Cup is just too fucking good for this game. 
And you talk about a guy that needs double coverage. I mean, holy shit, they have triple coverage. <laughs> I mean, he he needs triple coverage. That's for, for sure. But on that forty-four yard catch, they had a whole ass blown coverage where I think he was just kind of running wide open. There. Yeah, he so, just ran his he just ran his seam. Like I remember the commentators were like, "Oh man, he's running a beautiful route here." I'm like. He just he ran, ran straight. straight. He ran he past them. <laughs> like, I think they were running a zone coverage, and maybe um, the two deep safeties, like, each went to the sidelines for some reason. But, like, this dude didn't even have to run a route. Yeah, I mean, it looked like they were running the, the classic Tampa 2 prevent there, which really just, you know, prevents you from keeping the other team from gaining yards in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, yeah, Cooper Cup at the end of this game. I mean, is there any question who the best wide receiver in the game is? I mean, this guy... It, you often see quarterbacks in this situation step up when it matters. It's not often that you see a wide receiver in that situation, in that moment, put the entire team on his back and just say, come along, guys, we're going to fucking win this one. Has there been a greater crop of wide receiver ones in the championship series? <sighs> Think about it. You've got Cooper Cup, the triple crown winner. You've got Jamar Chase, the rookie. You've got Tyreek Hill, the fastest man alive. And you've got Debo Samuel, who can do it all. It's just... It's insane. It's going to be so much fun watching the passing attacks from all these games. And Cooper Cup is probably going to be at the center of it because I think the Rams have a really good shot of making the Super Bowl as long as he is doing his thing for them. You think about the league as a whole, that's just a trend overall. I mean, the skill position players from running backs to wide receivers just across the board have just gotten so, so much better over the years. And I mean, to where nowadays... You'll have guys that are just absolute freak studs like Scotty Miller. He's an absolute like burner on the outside, a real deep threat when he when he needs to be. And I mean, he's buried on the Bucks depth chart. I mean, the depth at skill position in the NFL right now is incredible. And it's only going to keep getting better, especially with a loaded draft like we got this year. I think my other favorite play was um, Cooper Cup's first touchdown where he kind of burned his uh, cornerback. Um, I think he ended up breaking his ankles and the safety, instead of covering a bracket on him, decided that he was going to bracket Van Jefferson over the middle. And so Cooper Cup ended up getting like a 65 yard catch. That was in like the first quarter. Even I'm, I'm looking at, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you can answer every question about why the Bucks did this with just a reminder that the Bucks secondary is bad. And I mean, that's the big thing that they're going to have to fix. Um, assuming that all things stay the same in the quarterback and coordinator situation, that secondary really needs some work. Yeah, it's like their number one corner is who? Like Sean Murphy Bunting? And then yeah. they got Antoine Winfield at safety, which I mean, love the guy. He's a great player, but he's much more of a box run-stopping safety than he is, you know, run like with you in pass type. coverage. Yes, a lot like Jamal Adams. I think he's a little bit better in, in pass coverage. I mean, I know he's an LSU guy, but... He's an LSU guy for you, but my God, you should just move that guy to pass rusher because he's a fucking liability on the back end in the passing game. But uh, but I digress there. I mean, what an absolute what absolute stud out there. Yeah. Um, for the Bucks, I mean, that's the big question though, right? Like outside of that fix, what is Tom Brady going to do? Because yes, we have been saying for the past three, four, five years that he might retire after this season, but... He looks noticeably gassed out there. Um, the zip really wasn't on the ball, I felt. Um, he struggled to keep up with the Rams, and he had a nice comeback, but like, you should at least keep up, at least keep it a 7- or 14-point game. And he is 45, going on 46 at this point, so 
like we have to ask those questions at this point. Some more amiable news for the Bucks is both of their coordinators, Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles, have gotten nods to get interviews. So they're going to be well underway for those. So we'll see how that goes for them. There's probably going to be a lot of turnover. I have also heard snippets of rumors of Bruce Arians possibly retiring as well, though I don't think that that is as solid as even Tom Brady retiring at this point. Yeah, I feel like... I feel like it's a domino effect for retirement. I feel like if Brady retires, Bruce Arians is probably going to retire. And if Bruce Arians retires, Brady is not coming in with a new head coach. He is going off into the sunset and enjoying life as a fucking billionaire. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like Tom Brady probably is going to come back for next season. I think he said he wanted to play until 45, and I think that kind of, you know, includes this next season. I think you talked about it before with uh, with – looking a little gas towards the end. I remember vividly at the very least a throw on the sideline where I think it was intercepted. It was uh, to Gronk, but you saw the, the, the DB had all the time in the world to get under it and catch that ball. And yep. I love Tom Brady for how he's been able to adapt as he's gotten older. He's a real savant mentally when it comes to the game, but physically he's 45. I mean, the arm isn't what it once was, so he can't play forever. I think he's got probably one more year in him but hey I've I've been wrong before and I've been traumatized into thinking he might play till he's 50 so who even knows at this point plus he's probably the runner-up for the MVP this season to be honest exactly could could win it I guess but um definitely top five I would say probably runner-up to Aaron Rodgers probably Uh, yeah for the Rams um as we said before they're going to be playing the 49ers and they will be hosting that championship game against the 49ers and if they beat the 49ers they will also be hosting the Super Bowl. So for the second straight year, we will have um, a team hosting the Super Bowl and possibly winning that Super Bowl on their home turf. So that would be cool to watch. And I mean, Cam Makers is hopefully getting better. The turnover in this game was not a good look for him. It looks like he hasn't really gotten a whole lot of reps as he kind of just got peanut punched on that one. And um, they do have OBJ who's... Was I think he did have a touchdown or two in this game. I believe but, he did have a touchdown at some point. Yeah, I think game. he had like the first touchdown actually. Um, yeah, but I mean, maybe he was big. He was big in the wild card round. He's been really big ever since he got here. I think in the six games that he's been here, he's had like three hundred yards, and that includes like a seven yard performance in the first game. And he's had like six touchdowns, and that's not even including the touchdown that he had last week. Um, so the Rams definitely have a plethora of weapons moving forward. Yeah, and I think the Rams as a team are like very likable. I think top to bottom, they're they're a fun team to watch. Uh, the only thing that I would not want them going to the Super Bowl for is because I would not want to see that smug motherfucker Stan Kroenke smiling. <laughs> I mean, that guy, that guy. If you just look at the sports teams he's managed and how he's run them all into the ground, that guy is a fat. Not actually fat. He's actually kind of skinny, but a piece of shit, dude. I mean, fuck that guy. I don't want well, him Matt to Matt Stafford, be man, get him a Super Bowl. He I do are, want to he see He deserves Matt it of anyone. <laughs> he, he does deserve it, but I just don't get it next year when it's not in L.A., you know? I mean, I just, I just don't want to see that smug motherfucker smiling at, at a home Super Bowl. Let's go ahead and get into our conference round preview. We've got the Bengals versus Chiefs as our first game, Sunday at 3 o'clock. And this is going to be a... Pretty fun game. I do think this is probably going to um, be called by most pundits as a Chiefs victory. 
is probably like a 90 to 10 odds, if I had to guess. I mean, the Bengals have a lot of very glaring issues, whereas the Chiefs, I feel, can patch up their holes. If that's the odds Vegas is given, I'll I'll sprinkle $5 on that shit. Honestly, that's my own manufactured odds of what I'm feeling here. Um, I just think that when you got Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram on that line, it's going to be hard to have the same kind of performance that they had against the Raiders and they had against the Titans against the Chiefs considering Patrick Mahomes just threw three touchdowns in a six-minute span. Plus 270 on FanDuel. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stay I'll stay away from that on the uh, on the Bengals' side there. But uh, I, I will say they're, they're facing an uphill battle. But when you got Joey Burrow at quarterback, I mean, any, anything's possible at the end of the day. And if Tyra Matthew plays, I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing that's going to hinge on who wins this one is whether Tyron, Tyra Matthew plays or not. That's... That is huge outside of like the actual matchups of the game. If he doesn't play, I mean, you saw it last week. I don't think Gabriel Davis scores four touchdowns and goes for 200 yards if Tyron Matthews out there. That's all I'm saying. So, yeah, it's it'll be big if he's in the game. But, yeah, Joe Burrow is facing a big uphill battle, and he's going to have to put it all on his shoulders if they want to win this. At the very least, though, they do have a very opportunistic team. They got three turnovers against Tannehill. I think they got – two interceptions against Derek Carr as well. So, hey, maybe they can force some errant throws out of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, their defense is, weirdly enough, probably the better unit of the two, if only because that offensive line is such a liability. But uh, I would definitely expect this one to turn into a shootout. I don't know what the over-under is on it, but I would be pretty hard-pressed not to take the over there. Yeah, I mean, it's either going to be a shootout or a blowout, and the Bengals are not going to be on the good side of the blowout. So I'm just hoping it's going to be a shootout here. That's that's all I'm saying there. Uh, who do you? Th- what do you think is going to be the key to this game? For me, looking at the uh, matchup wise, it's going to be the, the Chiefs secondary versus that uh, Bengals receiving core. Uh, I, I touched on it a little bit with Tyra Matthew, his availability status that that really hinges on it. But if the Chiefs get cooked by Chase Higgins, Boyd and Co., I mean. It, it, it's literally the only way that the Bengals can win is if they get in a shootout. So if they can't slow them down, they're just leaving the door open for them at the end of the day. But if they can slow them down, I feel like, I mean, the Bengals' defense, they got a great pass rush, but that secondary is not going to hold a candle to save their fucking life against Patrick Mahomes. And if Patrick Mahomes goes under 400 in this game, it's because they won by 30. That's all I'm going to say on that. I will say that in that game against the Titans, Jamar Chase had over 100 yards, and I believe 90 of those were after catch. So, yeah. you know, even if he gets bracketed, they could always throw a bubble screen to him and just let him run wild. I mean, it's basically him and Tyree Kill are the same player, just uh, different sides of the ball at this point. But, uh, yeah, I think that we're going to have to really watch and see if that Bengals defensive line can stop Patrick Mahomes. I think that that is one of the very few ways that the Bengals will be able to win. It's the old adage that if you can get home with four, then any quarterback is going to suffer, right? Like people joke about how that was Tom Brady's kryptonite, but look, when you got big motherfuckers in your face all game long, then it's going to be hard to throw the ball accurately and it's going to be hard to stay on schedule. Like like we've said before, we joke about it because it's literally every quarterback's kryptonite. If you can get there with four, I mean, congratulations. Your defense is going to play good on that day, no matter what happens outside of that. So, yeah, I mean, if you can get the Patrick Mahomes with four, that'd be great. And I think Trey Hendrickson has been an absolute stud and pass rush there. But you think outside of that, 
I mean, it's hard to see anyone else getting a whole lot of push. I know Sam Hubbard's played really well, but he's more of a run stopper than anything else. So I feel like he's going to be limited in this game in the, the pass rush as far as that's concerned. Uh, it's it's hard to see the Chiefs hanging in this one. But like I said, with Joey Burrow at QB, I mean, there's there's no reason they couldn't somehow find a way to make this one 37 to 40 or something like that. I would love to say that the Bengals are going to win here, but I can't in good conscience pick against the Chiefs. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, I won against the Chiefs last week, and boy, was <laughs> I I was ready to apply the clown makeup and just don the whole regalia last night when uh, that, that game was all said and done. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not doing that again. I think the Chiefs are probably going to win this one by double digits, but this is, this is the dawn of the era of Joey Burrow in the AFC North. I'm going to say that. The AFC just has had a great crop of new quarterbacks coming in. I mean, between Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, got Lamar Jackson out in Baltimore as well. Things are looking really good for the future of the AFC. Oh, my God. Absolutely. The AFC looks fantastic. The NFC, I think, too, over the next few years is probably going to get more of those QBs like, you know, the, the Strouds and Youngs of the world. I think it all has a, has a way of balancing out like that. So I feel like where the QBs are at right now, I think it's very exciting. Where it's going to be in five years is going to be on another level, I feel like. I'm, I'm interested to see on the other side how defenses end up adapting to it because I feel like you're going to have to start breeding fucking freaks in a lab to start defending offenses in the future. Hoping that maybe Jameis Winston can be one of those great quarterbacks in the next five years, but uh, that's not what we're talking about today. What we're going to talk about instead is the 49ers versus Rams, who... On one side, you've got Matthew Stafford, who could be a Hall of Famer, to be honest. And on the other side, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, who I don't think anyone's going to confuse as a Hall of Famer at any point in his career. Um, Other than that, it's going to be a pretty fun game. There's a lot of playmakers on both sides. I mean, you've got Debo Samuel in the backfield. You've got Brandon Ayuk and, um, and Eli Mitchell is starting for the 49ers. And then their defense has been on another level recently. So the 49ers have been a very scary team recently. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like the team around Jimmy G is so good that it really doesn't even matter how that that strikingly handsome porn star banging SOB is playing at QB. I mean, it doesn't doesn't really matter because they got Debo, they got Ayuk, they got uh, Mitchell in the backfield there. They're very, uh, very what's the word versatile as to what they can do. We've talked about it before is the ways they can, they can kind of scheme you to death and confuse the hell out of a defense. And I feel like just going into this one, just logically, I mean, you know, the Rams, the roster probably has more of an edge there. I feel like the the Niners defense is probably better top to bottom. I think the Rams have a bit more stars, but I mean, you just look at it. Shanahan over, over the years, his own McVay as well. So this game especially being a divisional matchup as well. The 49ers have already beat him twice. Who the hell knows who's going to win this one? I'm willing to bet that the Rams are going to show out for this one. I mean, you can't lose three straight times. I know last year the Saints swept the Bucks in the regular season and the Bucks came out and beat the Saints in the postseason. Um, probably would have been the case this season as well with the Saints and Bucks. I think that's going to be the case with the Rams and the 49ers here where – you can't lose to the 49ers for a third time 
within the same season, especially when you have Cooper Cup back there. You've got OBJ. You've had the resurgence of Cam Akers and Sony Michelle back there. It's going to be a good game, I think. It's probably going to be the more competitive of the two games during this next weekend slate of games. But really, it's going to be hard to call it just because, like you said, the Rams do have a more, honestly, just a more talented team. It feels like you can name players at just about every position. But Shanahan's own McVay this entire time. It's been, what, six straight games that he's won against McVay? I mean, that's pretty hard to dispute against. Yeah, and this feels like one of those games where both the defensive lines are just going to dominate, not going to be a whole lot of scoring. But when it comes down to crunch time, it feels like the stars are just going to shine. There's just going to be a flurry at the end. Honestly, I uh, it's hard to tell exactly who's going to win this game. First off, I, I do want to talk about the most important matchup in this one. Uh, Kyle Shanahan versus Aaron Donald for me. And it's, it's a bit of an abstract way of framing it. But I think of it this way. I mean, with the high-powered offense on the other sideline like the Rams, I mean, you're going to need all the points you can get and probably going to want to take off as much clock as you can on the other side to keep that that offense from being on the field and, and scoring when they can. So, I mean, part of that is figuring out how to keep Aaron Donald out of the game and keeping him from wrecking everything up the middle. So the way that Shanahan does that, the way he figures out how to do that is going to kind of dictate how this game goes, I feel. I will mention, too, we haven't talked about him yet on this cast, but Von Miller, he had a hell of a game last week. Uh, I think he got uh, I think he got a fumble. He got a couple sacks. And he's overall in the recent games has been a very big impacts player for the Rams. And I could see him causing some fits. But the matchup that I'm going to be watching is simply Jalen Ramsey versus Debo Samuel. Will Jalen Ramsey be able to keep up with all the motioning that he's going to be able to do? Will he be able to shut him down? Or will Debo Samuel break out, have another 125, 150 all-purpose yards? That's going to really dictate the pace for the 49ers because if Debo Samuel doesn't get going, 49ers aren't going. And you think about it, Jalen Ramsey gave up that that long reception last week to Mike Evans. Debo Samuel led the league in yards per catch. So, I mean, not getting much of a break in this one. Might end up giving a big play to uh, to Debo Samuel at some point here. That's one to watch. So, who do you got? Uh, personally, for no real ro- logical reason, you look at the you look at the rosters, and I, I say the Rams should win this. But I got the fucking 49ers, man. I just feel like they've been facing uphill odds, impossible odds, basically every game this postseason. Shanahan does own McVay. I mean. It just feels like the 49ers in this one. Look, man, the Rams let me down once. They almost let me down a second time. I will be damned if they let me down a third time. They are going to win this, and they're going to go to the Super Bowl where they will lose to the Chiefs. I swear to God, if the Rams lose this one, I'll be so pissed because the 49ers are literally the bane of all of my problems as a football fan this year. I forgot they knocked the Saints out of the playoffs. I mean, at the very On this least, exact matchup. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't you rather see the team that knocked you out of the playoffs like making a deep run like this rather than like coming in and laying an egg though? Like at least you got knocked out by a team that's like solid. I mean, they got to the championship game, right? No, fuck that, dude. They already won a couple <laughs> of games. They beat the fucking Packers. That's good enough. 
Hey, but if, if the Rams lose, at least you get to see Stan Kroenke cry. And who doesn't love to see a smug billionaire cry? That'd I want to see. Cool. I want to see Matt Stafford get his ring. I want to see Aaron Donald he's, just eating he's children. Young for breakfast. in the grand scheme of quarterbacks, he'll, he'll be back. There <laughs> Are you next sure year. about that? It, I feel like ten years. Ten years. Ten years with the Lions is like thirty years of the NFL. I mean, in in like real terms, as far as like real age is concerned, sure. I mean, he's lived through like wartime essentially being in Detroit, but I mean. Living down in L.A., you got the nice weather, you got the beach. I mean, I just feel like that adds a few years onto the career. Also, he's playing QB in the modern era. He can play for fucking ever. I do also um, have a vested interest in OBJ as uh, that 2011 LSU team, despite not winning the championship, was a very special team to me. And OBJ and Tyron Matthew are both a part of that team, so... Those are two players that I hold very near and dear to my heart in LSU fandom. So there's another reason why I'm rooting for the Rams. There you go. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, on that note, I think that's probably uh, pretty much it for the uh, previews there. So this is my time to take you into the uh, little bit of extraneous NFL news in the form of Vikings GM search, which Zach's not really going to chime in much because, you know, there's really no reason for him to know any of this information. But... The skinny of it is, for those who don't know, got two final GM candidates, Ryan Poles and Quesi Adolfo Mensa. Uh, we'll start with going through both of these guys, and I'll kind of give you my opinion on which one I think would be a better fit for the Vikings. First off, we got Ryan Poles. I mean, really, before I get into that, just, just before I get in, these guys, polar opposite backgrounds. I mean, let, let, me, let me just tell you here. Ryan Poles... Chiefs Executive Director of Player Personnel, football guy, through and through. He spent pretty much his entire football life, I mean, started as an offensive guard at Boston College, then was a grad assistant, then at 23, went up to the NFL, spent the last 13 seasons in the Chiefs organization, working his way up the scouting department, really with an emphasis on the college scouting side of it. So, you know, he's big into the uh, spotting players in college and how they'll uh, fit into a team. Uh, if you're doing the math at home, that means he was there for Matt Castle, Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, uh, with Todd Haley, Andy Reid guiding the ship there. I mean, that is firsthand experience you don't get just every day of watching a team be built from the ground up, essentially, from the doldrums of where they were when Todd Haley first got there. I think they were 4-12 and in Ryan Pohl's first season with the team to where they got to, to where they are now. I mean, that's just not something that you, you get every day. Um, but yeah, this is just a, a quote that kind of really sums up what he's all about. I mean, locker room chemistry, soft quality evaluation, less on the, uh, the spreadsheet side of things. His quote, in his own words, we see these guys on TV as athletes every week, but they're around each other all the time too. So the locker room has to be good. If you don't have a, st- a strong locker room, if you don't keep everyone on the same page and you don't have leaders to keep focus forward, you'll lose. So, I mean, that's pretty much like, I, I, I bring that up because the Vikings have said they want a culture change. They want someone who's going to pay attention to the soft qualities and the people stuff like that. And Ryan Poles is singing all those tunes. On the other hand, the other finalists, you got Kwesi Adafo uh, Mensa. I hope I didn't completely butcher that name but he is the VP of football ops for the Browns a meteoric rise over the past couple of years I mean new age data analytics statistically driven guy 
kind of a weird background. Started off, played basketball at Princeton, graduated with an econ degree from there, worked his way on uh, Wall Street as a uh, commodities trader. That was up until 2013 when he joined front office of the 49ers as part of the uh, football research and development department, which if you're not totally understanding what that is at home, that's just basically slang for analytics department that everyone has different names for it. They just called it football research and development for the 49ers. That's kind of what his background was in 2020 when Andrew Barry got the GM job for the Browns. He hired uh, Adolfo Mensa as his uh, VP of, let me see exactly what the title was, VP of football ops. So, I mean, he was kind of the, the right hand man of Andrew Barry making a lot of those personnel decisions and he put together a damn good roster. I mean, you look at it, you got Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, all the weapons on the offense. I mean, Baker Mayfield, it is what it is, but, you know, that that was kind of left over from the previous regime anyway, so it is what it is. On the whole, though, I feel like if I, if I had a pick of, of who I was going to have, I do think I would go with Poles over Adolfo Mensa. If for no other reason, I think obviously I'm more into guys that look at the the soft side, the people side of things, because that is, you know, the locker room is the biggest X factor that'll determine winning in the end. And that's just not something you're ever going to see on a stat sheet. So, you know, I like it there. But also, Adolfo Mensa, he's been in the football side of things for nine years at this point. Really, he's been in the analytics department only for the, well, he's been in the analytics department for seven years, just really got up to running things over the past two years. He is much less experienced than Ryan Poles is overall. I think Poles has been basically training for this job, specifically coming from the scouting side of things for the past 13 years. And he has that firsthand experience of seeing a team built up from scratch that, frankly, Adolfo Mensa doesn't have. And I think Adolfo Mensa is a more risky candidate. He is less qualified. I think he could be a good candidate in the future. But right now, I think Poles is the guy going forward here. I think you guys should go with Adolfo Mensa. I mean, that dude was grandfathered into the genius organization of the world. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not even entirely sure what you're talking about here. But I mean... Mensa. That is true. <laughs> he is. He was grandfathered in by name. I think if he just like sends in his birth certificate... He is already in, which is probably how he got the job in Wall Street in the first place. Never mind that, you know, he's got the Princeton degree and everything like that, right? Nah. From what I've heard, Princeton's a shithole. No offense if you're from Princeton. I haven't actually heard that, but uh, LSU all the way, baby. SEC. Let's go. They're a much better <laughs> school. Much better school than Princeton, that's for sure. It's all about perspective, man. It's all about what you do with that degree. <laughs> hey, man. Princeton, they're, they're a bunch of pieces of shit. They, they, they stink. Their education is bad. You know, that's why they're right. Well, Caleb, I'm going I'm to show you some monkey business here. You you ready to for, for a little laugh heading into the weekend? I mean, I always enjoy a good laugh, if you know me. Well, let me tell you that uh, just last weekend, right before the divisional round of games, we had a, uh, a pickup truck haul in this really big trailer driving along the Pennsylvania Highway, and it ended up getting into a collision with a dump truck. Well, inside the trailer that was dislodged from the pickup truck were about a dozen crates of various medical supplies and uh, 100 lab monkeys. So, for so about 24 hours, we just had a bunch of 
simians just running rampant throughout I have no idea where in PA, wherever I 80, I think, I 70, one of those two. Wherever that is. Um so they were just running rampant, and I mean people were specifically advised not to uh get into contact with these as they're not domesticated. (laughs) Well people are not are not advised to search for nor interact with these crazy simians as uh they're not domesticated, and, well, let's be honest. I don't think any monkey is willingly volunteering to be part of a lab experiment, so they probably don't want to be there in the first place. But, thankfully, with the help of the CDC, the Game Commission, the uh, some local Pennsylvania firefighters, and the Pennsylvania Department of Health, all toting rifles and tasers, they were able to find the rest of the monkeys. <laughs> I mean, they just peacefully brought them in just like hey man calm down calm down just make sure you know just kind of convulsing so you can put him in the back of the truck it's 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 all good dude but i mean this is just would you go near one of these monkeys i would just assume that they have some sort of diseases in them i mean i played call of duty i played zombies i know what happens to those things in the lab they just shoot them full of diseases yeah, I, I don't think I'd, I definitely wouldn't want a kiss from one of them. I bet they've probably got, like, fucking gonorrhea or something in there, honestly. But uh, I'm curious to see what it is they're doing with these monkeys. Like, I'm thinking maybe they're making some simian hybrids out here. Like, they're breeding people and monkeys together, and these are the first generation of what could be a very prolific line of bioevolution. I mean, if there if there is anything that Planet of the Apes taught us, it's that creating monkey or super intelligent monkeys, that's just always a good idea, right? But uh, yep. on that note, I think that's a good, good one to end on. Good foreboding thought to think about, hey, what's going to kill us first? The apes or the artificial intelligence that we're just thoughtlessly advancing? Anyways, that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't, I mean, hey, just expunge this experience from your memory. After you leave a five-star rating, you cute, cute son of a bitch. Uh, We put out episodes twice. Well, actually, we don't put out episodes twice a week anymore. It's once a week, just on Wednesday. I'm too lazy to edit this right now. Anyways, follow us on Twitter at Caleb Verzak, at Zachary W. Mullen. Links will be in the description below so you don't have to spell our names out. If you want to contact the contact the show send us an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com specify business or show in all caps in the first word of your subject line and we will categorize you accordingly and i think that's just that's about it thank you so much for tuning into unqualified analysis and as always we have no idea what we're talking about and i am not okay with football almost being over dude dude i can't wait for monday night football